Man, I'm excited this morning. It's been a, a long while since I've had the privilege to, to speak. Uh, I took a break. Um, if you were at the last family meeting, I got to share about uh, my, my time a, away from the leadership team and how beneficial it was for my wife and I just to kind of take a, a break and a, and a rest um, to, to refresh ourselves, not only uh, in the Lord, but in each other and... Um, just loving on on our family, uh, so I'm just I'm very thankful and thank you for of course allowing me to to preach God's word this morning and I'm I am very excited about that. Um, did want to say Happy Mother's Day to you all. Uh, my mom will be uh, undoubtedly listening on uh, on the podcast probably later this week. So uh, for her, I just want to send a resounding "You're welcome." Um, <laughs> For being your son and uh, making it, you know, motherhood a cakewalk. Uh, so, no, r- really, uh, I do. I want to say thank you to to all the mothers. Uh, to my mom, my mom is uh, probably the most intentional person I know. Um, she is very uh, relationally driven, and I I think that's probably where I get that from as well. It's been a good trait to have to to care so much about people's hearts, and that's what she does, and she just loves to hear about people and the truth that's going on in their lives. Um, they've had many people live with them. She's discipled number of women uh, through very hard things, and so <clears throat> not to mention growing me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that is something that I've just benefited from, and so I appreciate that in her. My wife as well, I'm going to mention her this morning only because she's not here because we have a sick child. And uh, that is that is really difficult <laughs> for her and for me. I feel terrible that I'm here and she's not. Um, but she is a trooper and she is a fantastic mom. And what we're actually going to talk about today is something that she does very well in the home, which is keeping scripture at the center of our girls' lives. Um, and then lastly, I do want to recognize this morning um, that Mother's Day isn't always enjoyable for some of us, um, that we've had either moms that have gone on or have lost a child, um, or uh, have had things and circumstances in our lives that make Mother's Day just a little bit more difficult than it needs to be. And so we love you, and we appreciate the situations that you're going through, and we don't want you to feel neglected this morning, as there's lots of celebrations and happy times, and there are for those people. Uh, But you're not forgotten here, and we love you, and you're cared for. And if you need to talk about those things today, There's lots of leadership that would love to talk to you about what's going on in your life, specifically as it pertains to Mother's Day. So with that said, we're going to spend some time focusing on God's Word this morning and what it means to us. And for you mothers, we we, we don't have a specific Mother's Day message for you. We didn't craft something around uh, Scripture that, that speaks specifically to you, but we believe that God's Word speaks for itself and speaks directly to you. And as a mom, we pray that it's just this morning this speaks to your heart, and uh, God is the one that uh, convicts and encourages and challenges you in His Word. Um, and so we're actually, this morning, going to spend time just li- literally talking about the, the Word um, and we're going to use the word to talk about that. Um, but we have been working through a series uh, of we are HGC uh, vision and val- like what do we value and who are we, uh, what are we about? And um, and this week uh, we're going to talk about God's word. 
Um, when I was in high school, um, I, I gave, I was in a speech class, and, um, and I was very outgoing, and so speech was actually a fun class for me. I, enjoy, I enjoyed it, um, but we had to do a speech on um, our most prized possession, and um, I was not super vocal about my faith in, in high school. Um, I didn't do a great job of evangelizing or witnessing, but I chose to do my most prized possession as as my copy of God's Word. And I gave that speech, and I don't remember a ton about it. I don't really even remember what I said. Um, but public high school gave that speech, but I, I remember that I was the speech of the week that week. And it was not because I had a great speech, because my speech teacher actually told me, hey, your speech was okay. Like, you did okay. Um, but the reason I was speech of the week is because she believed me. She, she felt that I was genuine in what I, what I was saying, and that because she could sense the authenticity of what I was saying, that's what made it speech of the week. Not because it was well-constructed and well-thought-out and well-put-together and all of these eloquent sentences, but it was because I believed what I was saying. And so that's kind of my prayer this morning, is that as we kind of walk through this together, that maybe it's not very eloquent, maybe it's not even sometimes well-put-together, but I pray that you just see that I believe it, you know, and I believe that this is uh, God's gift to us, and he's preserved it and protected it. So last week, we talked about uh, we exist, we are HGC, we exist to glorify God by gathering as believers to know God and to make him known, and so we are gospel-defined, gospel-driven, and gospel-declaring, right? I loved that. I said, hey, man, that's something we need to, we need to hang on to. That's why we're teaching these things. This is what the leadership is talking about. We are gospel-defined, gospel-driven, gospel-declaring, okay? We are HGC. Our desire is that our hearts will be conformed to that of Christ through teaching and responding of God's Word. That's what we're going to talk about today. Future weeks, a couple weeks from now, or the next two weeks, we're going to talk about our desires that we are devoted to one another. Our devotion to one another is cultivated through prayer, fellowship, and accountability in the family. So spending time together and being a, a family. And then we are HGC. Our desire is that serving together will be accomplished through ministering, giving, and caring beyond ourselves for others. So going out and, and being gospel declaring. So we're gospel driven through the word, we're gospel uh, uh, defined by the word, um, and we're gospel declaring by going out and sharing that. Well, my question this morning as I started thinking about, hey, we're going to spend some time talking about the word, and, and I want to use, use all of it to show you how valid it is, right? And how scripture teaches us week in and week out uh, how we deepen our walk with Jesus. But our question, my question for myself was, well, where does that come from? Where does gospel-driven come from? Where does gospel-defined come from? Where does the gospel come from? Uh, and we say, well, Scripture. Well, okay, good, but where did that come from? Well, how did we get this, this book of books? Um, how can we trust that it's authoritative? I was having a conversation this morning, you know, that, well, this is great. This is a, a good book, and I take it at face value, and I trust it's true because it was given by God. But how do, you know, how do you know that? How do you know God's word is God's word? And I, that's just a great question that we don't uh, ask ourselves very often, or I, I don't. So I want to look at that question in, a, in really two different ways. Uh, one is that because I feel it's so important that we say if we believe this book, 
uh, it's beneficial to know where it came from. So we're going to look at a little bit of church history. We're going to get a little historical this morning. We're going to do that by actually just walking through together our statement of faith as it pertains to God's Word. So we're going to, you can, you can go, you can actually do it right now if you want to on your phone. You can Google HGC or HighlandGospelCommunity.com and you can see what we say we believe about the Bible. And we're going to walk through that this morning. And then my prayer is that as we walk through that, then uh, we get a better understanding of why God's Word is uniquely authoritative. And when we understand that authority and God's view of it, then the question is, how does that change the way that I view Scripture? Right? And so we always, we want to come in and we, Scripture is the most important thing. It's the, it, it's the foundation. It's our cornerstone of, of what we believe. It's our manual. Our, why? Why is that? And if that's true, then how does that change my view of it? So uh, setting that up, let me pray this morning for us, and then we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to it. God, thank you so much for uh, this morning, a time to come and to, uh, to, to spend time in your word. Uh, this morning specifically, I pray that you would just give us the ability to, um, to see and to hear um, how through history you have protected and preserved your word for us. Father, that you, you've, you've taken this gift and you have held it close and you have given us your words uh, directly to our hearts. So we pray, God, that you would do that this morning. And uh, thank you for loving us uh, in so many ways, especially by giving us the Bible. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So let me read this statement of faith uh, for you. <clears throat> this is HGC's statement of faith concerning the, the word. You can go on the, online and, and check it out, like I said. We accept the Bible including the 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament as the written word of God. The Bible is an essential and infallible record of God's self-disclosure to mankind. It assists in leading us to salvation through, the faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. By giving, being given by God, the scriptures are both fully and verbally inspired by God. Therefore, as originally given, the Bible is free of error, and all it teaches. Each book is to be interpreted according to its context and placement within the whole council of Scripture and purpose and in reverent obedience to the Lord who speaks through it in living power. All believers are exhorted to study the Scriptures and diligently apply them to their lives. The Scriptures are the authoritative and normative rule and guide for all Christian life practices. And doctrine. They are totally sufficient and must not be added to, superseded, or changed by later tradition, extra biblical revelation, or worldly wisdom. Every doctrinal formulation, whether of creed, confession, or theology, must be put to the test to the full counsel of God in Holy Scripture. So, what I want to do is, I just want to, I'm going to I'm just going to break that down in chunks for us, and then we're going to walk through what those things mean. Not only what they mean, but how Scripture backs up what we, what we say. Okay? So we accept the Bible, including the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament, as the written Word of God. That gives us the 66th book, and we call that, that collection of writings the canon. Okay? And so canon, uh, when we talk about the canon and what that is, those 39 and 27 books, 66 collectively, 
is the question then is, is this an authorized collection of writings or a collection of authoritative writings? So what do I mean by that? Is it a collection of, or is it an authorized collection of writings? Did we basically have these writings and then through time and through experience and through councils, take them, authorize them, and then give them authority? Or is this a collection of writings that is authoritative inherently on their own? And we would take the, that latter view, saying that, hey, this is not a, th- these are not books that were written and then uh, recognized and therefore authoritative. These are books that were written and authoritative, and then we recognize them as, as the church. Okay, And what I mean by that is that <clears throat> Scripture uh, was written from uh, the Old Testament from about 1400 B.C. to 430 B.C., right? And there was very much a preservation of that, that written and orally given word of God by transporting it right in the Ark of the Covenant, Right, so these, the Jewish people then they had some written words of God. They put it in a coven, the ark, and they they kept it and they protected it. These writings, as they were given and written, were inspired at that point. Um, they were written down with specific rule and regulation. They were handled with much care, much like we view teaching from the pulpit now. Right? And I want you to know, and I, the question is, do you know that we protect the pulpit as your leaders? We don't let just anybody off the street come up and teach from God's word. We want to make sure uh, uh, that you are protected as sheep, as we are sheep, right? And we feel like we have a responsibility to God and to the flock to protect the preaching of the word, to make sure that we have the same views of scripture. One of those really important questions is, do they hold God's word above their own? Do I think that God's word is above what I'm saying to you this morning? Absolutely. God's word is the only thing that can teach you this morning. And so God used that that type of mentality in the people to protect and preserve his word from 1400 BC to 430. And so then we ask ourselves, well, when was the Old Testament canon? When was that 39 uh, when were those 39 books done being written? When were they canonized? Well, with the book of Malachi, when it was completed, it was done. Because Scripture has inherent authority. It's not these books that were written and then we said, uh, you know, in, in like 367 A.D., well, hey, uh, we recognize these as authoritative writings from, from, from God. Well, that's not how it works. God is authoritative in and of himself. And so when Malachi was complete, we see that even New Testament writers started quoting Old Testament, started quoting the first five books of the Bible. And as we see uh, the, the New Testament authors, how they introduced those quotes and how they reference them, we see their respect for them and knowing that these writings had authority. So then the New Testament was written about 40 AD to 90 AD, which is a, a much shorter window of God revealing himself to us through this word, and he just gives it to people, right? <clears throat> In the same vein, these words were written and circulated. Um, uh, at the same time, being completely fair and wanting you to know the whole perspective, there were other writings at this time that were being circulated about 
Christ, about God, about, uh, uh, about Jesus, the Savior. However, uh, not all of the books that were being circulated were canonized. Well, what happened there? You know, well, things started to, to get protected even at that stage of life of the canon. Uh, and some of these, these scriptures, these are, excuse me, some of these writings that weren't scripture were being either accepted, rejected, or debated, right? And the early church, so post-apostolic, right? This is post uh, uh, our early church father stage, right? These guys started to say, hey, well, we're going to trace these things back to the apostolic fathers. Who, who wrote this? Who was given it? How do we protect it? How do we preserve it? And so what we believe is that God specifically intervened in the lives of not only the apostles who were writing and giving, but also the people who were preserving and protecting. Uh, at this time, the scripture uh, we see had functional authority, right? It had functional inspiration through the, the, the uh, New Testament writers. Being able to see how they pen the New Testament and how they teach us the stories, we know and see that God was doing things and he was saying specific things and those were being recorded, that God was laying it on the hearts of Paul uh, to, to write to churches and give them uh, inspired writings. And we also see from history, we know uh, that as, as these letters were being uh, traveled and, and copied, so basically, you know, one church leader would go to the next town and he would say, man, I, got, I have the gospel of Matthew. And the other church leader would say, I have the gospel of Mark. He was like, whoa, hey, that's, let's trade. I want to get that and I want to read that to my church and I want to teach my church from that. And so they would be able to, to, to give to one another and the, the gospel was just, was multiplying. Well, in the same vein, some people were like, well, gosh, it would be nice if Paul would have wrote this in the book of Corinthians, you know, to the Corinthian church. And so people would pen and write things that were actually orthodox, that actually made sense and might have gone along, but they weren't written by Paul. And so the early church fathers would say, well, gosh, you know, Paul, you know, I, I heard him preach and I, I never heard anything like that. And so the scriptures were being tested and approved, uh, debated and rejected and so there are, are books that uh, we don't agree on in some different avenues of faith, right? Um, we have the same Old Testament as our Jewish friends, right? If you went into a, a Jewish synagogue, you would see the same 39 books. They would probably be arranged in a little bit different order, but they are, they are the same. The uh, uh, New Testament, then they, re they reject right? Uh, we, don't, we don't have the same New Testament. They don't recognize our New Testament like we recognize our New Testament. Uh, our, our Catholic friends, um, they have a different Old Testament than we do. They have uh, like seven additional books, right? And that's called the Apocrypha, right? And that is, that is just extra biblical literature that they include in their canon that we don't include. Now, <clears throat> Not saying that uh, if you're if if you have a Catholic background that you can't be saved or anything like that, but those books, if you go and actually read them, are often misaligned with other scripture. And so when we say, and we're going to get to this uh, as we walk through our statement, but when we say that that scripture needs to be put in context of the whole, that's part of what we mean right there. Is that if this specific scripture contradicts or doesn't fit in line with the whole of scripture, then it can't then be scripture. And that's what happened is 
As these writings were being circulated and debated and rejected uh, much later, so AD uh, 40 to 90, the New Testament is written, and then there's like 200 years, basically, of, of functional authority. And then we see in 367 AD at the Council of Hippo, uh, the first list of 39 books and 27 books that's put into a package and saying, hey, this is Orthodox Christianity. This is what we follow. These are the books that we follow. And that's called canonization. <clears throat> now, that does not mean, again, I just want to stress, that does not mean that the Bible didn't have authority until 367 AD. What we believe is that 367 AD was just a formalized list for the church to take. <clears throat> because of what I believe and how I believe that Scripture has been protected and preserved over time and given to us, I have no problem calling out blatant heresy. I have no problem saying that, hey, if you're not preaching from this word and you're preaching something else, then that is, that is heretical. It's against what God has for us, right? And that's a bold statement, but I'm confident that if we stand on God's truth and God's word, that we can make that statement. There is no other gospel except for the one that comes from this collection of authoritative writings, not the authorized collection of writings. Just like the early church father, when people tried to add or subtract from the writings, God preserved it for us, and we should take offense and protect what God has graciously given to us. So now when, when other leaders try to add to the word or offer promises that are not there, or when they put an extra biblical yoke of slavery on anyone, we should stand in firm opposition to that, having found our root right here in God's word. Knowing that God has, has protected it and preserved it. Now this does not mean, I want you to hear me on this, this does not mean that I am right all the time. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that HGC is right all the time. What I am saying is I know where to go to test my thoughts and search for truth. I'm not right all the time. I, there are open-handed and close-handed issues doctrinally, and we can get into those in another time. But what I'm saying is that I know when I have an uh, issue that I need to think about, I know where to go and to search my thoughts and search for truth. Okay, so there's the canon. We get the canon. 39 books, 27 books, put them together. Man, we have the scripture. God protected it and preserved it for us over time. That's a huge gift. It's a huge gift. Okay, uh, next, in our statement online, you can see it. The Bible is, is an essential and infallible record of God's self-disclosure to mankind. It assists in leading us to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> uh, it is essential. And I feel like when we have an understanding of how God protected it and preserved it for us, we understand the, the, the preciousness, if that's a word, of his, uh, of his word to us. He took all that time to hold it together for us, to give it to us. We get things like Ephesians 6 talks about the helmet of salvation and the sword of, of the Spirit. Right? It's an essential part of our armor of God. The helmet of salvation comes from his word. The sword of the spirit is the thing that we get to attack with. It's something that we, we have that we know is true. 
We also see in Job 25, he talks about uh, in the midst of, of extreme pain and trial and tribulation that he treasured God's words more than bread itself. So even though he was starving, there was people around him that were dying, uh, that he treasured God's words so much that they, were, they meant more to him than, than bread. <clears throat> These kinds of, of uh, understandings, I think, come from, are for me, came from even without, if I took away my reading of, of Scripture and, and, and said, I'm just going to start from scratch, I think that I would understand at least a little bit that this is essential because just of the way that God has protected it and preserved it for me. As we read and understand the heart of God, we even see a stronger perspective, making them not only essential in doctrine, but also essential in practice. God's word, uh, what we say is it's essential and then infallible. Well, infallibility is the belief that what the Bible says regarding matters of faith and Christian practice is wholly useful and true. It's the belief that the Bible is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation, right? Nothing uh, comes to the Father except through Jesus, but this is where we find Jesus, right? And that it is a guide to salvation and uh, the life of faith, and we will not, it will not fail to accomplish its purpose. Psalm uh, twelve six says, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Right? This is the word of the Lord. It comes to us. It is infallible. It's inerrant. It, does, it has zero errors in it. And it is w- exactly what God wanted us to hear and to know. So because of that, and the next part in our statement being given by God, the scriptures are both fully and verbally inspired by God. Therefore, as originally given, the Bible is free of error and, and all it teaches. Well, what, is that, what does that mean? Sometimes we need to break some of these things down. I enjoy these things. I enjoy thinking about them. I enjoy looking at church history. I enjoy looking at uh, the doctrine of the Bible and what it means. What does it mean for God's word to be both verbally and fully inspired? Right? So I'm going to break them down for you. There's four different views of inspiration. Okay? There's a neo-Orthodox view. Right? This, at the end of the day, this view says that the Bible is just another book. Basically, neo-Orthodoxy says there is no natural um, inspiration. Like We can't know God through seeing nature. We can't know God through anything but divine revelation from him to us because he's, he's so f- much apart from us that without his divine intervention in our lives, we can't see him. Well, we, uh, we know that, right, the, that the rocks cry out, man, that heavens and earth declare h- him and who he is. And so we would believe that that, well, that can't be true. This, is, this basically says that God can't speak to us through words on a page because they were penned by man. So we don't, we don't believe that, okay? There's a dictation view that God spoke, uh, humans wrote it down, which does have some merit, right? We see... Uh, uh, in Scripture that God spoke and then people wrote it down. Example, Moses, right? Moses goes up the mountain. He gets the law. God says, write these things down. He says, yes, sir. He brings them down to the people. And then in his humanness, he does all kinds of weird stuff, okay? God spoke and humans wrote it down. Uh, 
However, there are many portions of Scripture that's not written like that. Right? So we don't see that all the way through. We do see portions of that. We see portions of God speaking and people writing. But uh, Paul, uh, God didn't speak audibly to him like that, and then he wrote it down. He wrote heart-wrenching letters to people that he loved and churches that he visited. Those words, although given by God through Paul's experience, we don't believe that they were dictated to him like, like Moses. Okay, next view. So dictation view, limited inspiration view. This is the opposite or the opposing view of the dictated dictation theory. Okay, whereas uh, uh, the latter sees scripture as primarily God's work with minimal human contribution, uh, the limited sees uh, primarily man's view uh, man's work with limited help from God, okay? Well, there's a big problem with that, right? We're, we're humans and we're, we're all, we are fallible. And so that basically, <clears throat> excuse me, that allows the freedom to express in their own words and their own works. And that's where we do see, right? We, we know that Paul's writings are different from Matthew's and Mark's are different from Luke and we have different levels of education. We have different styles of writing and that's how through the early church times they knew who was writing letters a lot of times not only because of an introduction or a, a greeting or a, a, or a benediction but because of the way that they were writing the letter. Uh, however, that this view takes that to the extreme and sometimes it allows uh, factual or historical errors Okay. There was human style, uh, but it erred on the side of errors, right? Where humans could actually mess that up. Which leads then to our view of inspiration, which is a verbal plenary inspiration. The word plenary means complete or full. The word verbal means the very words of Scripture. So plenary verbal inspiration means that, that every single word in the Bible is the very word of God. It's not just ideas or thoughts that are inspired, but it's the words themselves that are inspired by God. And that is a really, uh, sometimes it's a hard thing for us to wrap our, our minds around, but so is the Trinity, and so is the hypostatic union, and so is sovereignty, and so is great. There's a lot of things that are hard to understand, but we know that God, and it, through His Holy Spirit, has given words to men to pen on a page in order for them to be scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 uses a Greek, unique Greek word, theonuestos, which literally means God breathed. Scripture is being breathed out of the mouth of God and the Bible's words are God's words. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Man, that, that is powerful. That helps us to understand a little bit how the Holy Spirit intervened in man's life to make Scripture. This is why we can make this next statement, right? Understanding uh, a verbal plenary inspiration of God's Word is why we can make a statement that says, therefore... Now, this is from our, this is from our uh, statement of faith. Therefore, as originally given, the Bible is free of error in all that it teaches. Each book is to be interpreted according to its context and placement within the whole counsel of Scripture. Right? There's that understanding that 
Scripture speaks collectively, Old Testament and New Testament. Through the whole counsel of Scripture and purpose and in reverent obedience to the Lord who speaks through it in living power. So you've heard Pastor Nate up here talk about context is king, right? It is our job. It is our responsibility as believers, whether you're up here preaching or whether you're studying at home, to remember that the whole of Scripture speaks together and that we cannot go in and just kind of take out what we want. That's how we get heretical very, very quickly. Uh, We talk about interpretation in here. Um, We did a... uh, uh, a time where we got together with some guys and we talked about uh, how to handle God's word and how to preach it, right? How to, how to prepare a message to give to an audience. Well, if you're going to do that, you have to understand that, that the Bible is written in many different ways. It's not written in the same context. So we see uh, uh, like, right, that dictation method, right, where God speaks to Moses and Moses writes it down and therefore it's scripture. We have historical narratives in Genesis Exodus, Numbers, Joshua. We have the law in the last half of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. We have books of wisdom like Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. We have Psalms, which includes Psalms, but there's also more Psalms than Psalms. Song of Solomon and Lamentations. Even though Lamentations is a bunch of whining, right, it's, it's, it's still a psalm. It's songs to the Lord saying, why am I so downcast? Why am I afflicted? We have books of prophecy like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. We have apocalyptic books like Daniel and Revelation that speak about future things to come. That's why we can sing things in the morning like, hey, man, forever you are, are glorified, right? You're coming again. You're holding us. You're, you're going to come back and get us. Uh, we have the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But inside the Gospels, we have parables, right? We also have narratives. We have, they're written in different ways. We have the epistles, right? Which letters to different churches. We have pastoral epistles, which is letters to certain churches that are speaking specifically to their leadership teams, right? We have all this different style of writing and we have to be able to walk through it and interpret it in a way that says, hey man, the whole council of scriptures here. Now, I don't mean this to be intimidating at all. Scripture is written specifically for you and I. And so it says in our statement of faith on our website, all believers are exhorted to study the scriptures and diligently apply them to our lives. The scriptures are the authoritative and normative rule and guide for all Christian life practice and doctrine. We believe there's a lot involved to scripture, how we got it, how we study it, how we interpret it, but we believe that all Scripture is written for you personally, right? The Bible is not just for clergy. The Bible is not just for really smart people. The Bible is for the church. It is for you. Paul writes in his letters to the Colossian church in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the message of Christ Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is why when we met a couple weeks ago and we did our extended uh, worship and prayer service, that we had a time for you to come up and share from God's Word because the leadership team is not the only group of people that God shares His Word with. God shares his word with you, and we want, to, uh, we want you to have that personal experience. We want you to have an outlet to share that with others, whether that be in your community group or whether that be on a Sunday morning or whether that be in a fellowship time. 
for you to share with other people what God is teaching you. This is why I believe it's so important for us as a church to teach the flock how to feed themselves. When I was in in youth ministry and two different churches, my main objective on Wednesday nights with students was not to teach them the Word of God, but it was to teach them how to study the Word of God. Because I felt very strongly that I had these guys for seven to four years, depending on when they joined our church or the youth ministry, right? We started sixth grade, man, and we were hammering on them. Hey, this is, what the, this is what the Bible is, and this is how God's preserved it, and this is how God's protected it, and he wants you to read it. He wants you to study it. Well, how do you do that? And as we, we would do camps and retreats, all our camps and retreats were based upon them studying. So we would take books like uh, uh, Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. If you haven't read that book or utilized it in your own personal study of God's Word, I would encourage you to do so. He came up with the, the uh, original study of observation, interpretation, application, and being able to look at God's Word and to observe it, trying to remove all of your presuppositions and just to, to look at God's Word, to uh, uh, observe uh, observation, interpretation, to interpret, to be able to look at Scripture, to look at the context, look at what uh, style of writing is, and then to apply it to your life and be able to take that Word and hide it in our hearts and be able to teach us from it. This is why it's so important to be able to do that. If you guys uh, are only getting fed on a Sunday morning, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not what God's calling. God is not calling you to be spoon-fed His Word. God is calling you to feed yourself throughout the week, right? And so if you need help doing that, man, we, we want to do that. Uh, you know, so I'll just put that offer out right now. If you want to learn how to study the God's Word together, I would, let's do that together. Um, so that's why it's just, it's so important. Hebrews 4.12, uh, for the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. Here's the reality. I can, I can come up here and I can speak until I'm blue in the face. I can deliver some fantastic sermon. I can be whoever preacher you think is the best preacher out there right now. Whatever that is, whoever you listen to on your podcast, don't care. It does not matter if your heart is not willing to be transformed by the word of God. It just doesn't matter. And so your goal is to recognize the authority of Scripture to be sensitive to that, to prepare your, that's why we are giving you a moment of silence before the service, to allow yourself to quiet down and get rid of the distractions and prepare to hear from the Lord. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Old Testament book, right? Different law, but same principle. We are under the new covenant of grace, but we want to stick close to God's precepts. Just like we read this morning out of that psalm. Man, we delight in those. They are our joy to spend time in God's word and to learn from them. And we do that and it will make all of our ways prosperous and then you will have success. So here you go, right? You take that and you say, well, I'm going to read God's word and then next week I'm going to have a million dollars, right? 
he's going to make my way prosperous. I'm going to have success. I'm going to read God's word this week, and then I'm going to go to work next week, and I'm going to have a million-dollar sale in my sales career. But that's not how it works. Our, our prosperous ways, our success is not always what God's success is. His success is in his time, and it's in his ways. It's refining us and making us more like him. All right. They are totally, I'm sorry, back to our statement of faith. They are totally sufficient and must not be added to, superseded, or changed by later tradition, extra biblical revelation, or worldly wisdom. Okay? I'm going to try not to get angry. I'm going to try not to get angry. But this is where I get real frustrated with our culture. And it's not only our culture. It happened then, and it's happening now. But God's word is enough. It is sufficient. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He's giving us everything that we need through his son, which we find in scripture, that pertains to life and godliness. There is no other additional thing that can assist us in being successful in this life except for his word. 1 Peter 1, 24, 25 says, For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is a verse that I find rest in as I preach from time to time is that I know that my words will fail. They will go away. They are like the grass, right? And they will wither. But I want to stick close to God's word because that is the only thing that will remain forever. And this is the word which was preached to you in First Peter. So we have total sufficiency. We have, an, it. God's word is enough, right? And then we state this in our doctrinal statement about the Bible. Every doctrinal formulation, whether of creed or confession or theology, must be put to the test with the full counsel of God and Holy Scripture. Every doctrinal for everything that we do as a church body should be put to the test in the full counsel of God and Holy Scripture. And I think that sometimes churches just fail to do that because we go off and we do whatever thing we think we should be doing, which may be the thing you should be doing. However, if you follow me for a second, (laughs) however, we forget to test those things against his word. Even though they may be really, really good things, we need to be coming back and going, hey, is this what God has for us? Does every doctrinal formulation, every creed, every confession of theology, are they put to the test? Proverbs 30, 5 through 6, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So if you go to scripture first and then make your plans, it's a shield, man. It's a protection for us. It allows us to walk in the ways of the righteous. Do not add to his word or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. I have zero pro- I have no problem standing up here and telling you that there are some pastors, there are some churches out there that are blatantly mishandling the word of the Lord. 
that they feed you lies <clears throat> for their own gain. So really quick, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but really quick, I want to share with you a few thoughts about people who twist Scripture. One, we should expect them. Peter warns us against them. But false prophets also arose among you, the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in their destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them upon bringing their own swift destruction. Okay, which is really double information for us. One is we're going to expect them. Two is we expect God to destroy them. You can see all that also in Acts 20. Okay, most oftentimes those who uh, uh, twist scripture have ulterior motives. Three mo ulterior motives I see. One is monetary gain. You can look that up in Titus 1.11. Uh, <clears throat> two, a desire for personal following. They want to exalt themselves greater than what they actually are, Acts 20.30. Um, and thirdly, a lot of times it's for their own agenda. We see that in Titus 1.10. For there are many rebellious people, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those with Jewish connections. Now he's specifically calling out those with Jewish connections. And he's saying, look, who, who must be silenced because they mislead whole families by teaching for dishonest gain, what ought not to be taught, right? People who are still, pre we got to go back, right? Context, okay? People who are still preaching sacrifices, people who are still preaching, hey, you, circumcision, he's saying right now, he's saying in this passage, look, we need to put them off. We need to stand up against them. A certain one of them, in fact, one, this is still in Titus, uh, one of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Such testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply that they may be healthy in faith and not pay attention to Jewish myths and commandments of people who reject truth. All is pure to those who are pure, but to those who are corrupt and unbehaving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They profess to know God, with their deeds, are, but with their deeds they deny him, since they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good deed. Yikes. And it's these type of verses that allow me not to sit in arrogance and say, you are wrong, but to sit and stand rooted in the word of God and say, you are wrong. Because when people are adding to or subtracting from the word of God and they start preaching a different gospel to you, then there's a problem and we need to call it out. See also 2 Peter 2, 10 through 22 and Jude 18, if you're taking notes. <clears throat> this happened then, it's happening now and we need to stand on guard. Leadership, we, you have an obligation to the flock to protect them and you, flock, I have an obligation to myself to keep myself from wandering. In ministry, as I left my first position uh, in Texas, I was challenged. I, we knew it was coming. We had announced to the church and we said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. We're moving to St. Louis uh, for a time to figure out what God wants for me and what he has for me. And, and I had, you know, I, my days were numbered, right? I knew it was coming. So I was challenged to think, I'm never going to see these kids again, most of them, right, if any of them. What what am I going to share with them in my last message? And I think, well, I know 
uh, they were all, they were caught off guard because of what I shared with them. I shared with them Galatians 1, 6 through 9. It says this. It says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there is, are some who are dis- distributing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And they were like, whoa, wait a second. Like, we haven't even, you haven't even left yet. Like, don't judge us. And I said, hey, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you to be on guard. Because as I leave, man, there are wolves. They're ready to come in, and they're ready to attack you, and they're ready to preach a different gospel. And if, if I come back and preach a different gospel, let me be accursed. Or if anyone comes to you and preaches the gospel contrary to what I have taught to you over these last four years, let them be accursed. And they're just like, man, Pastor Mike, that sounds harsh. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely it is harsh. Stick true to the word of God. Stick true to the word of God. As you guys go out to college, as you graduate, as I leave, stick true to the word of God. And I just, that was the, the last message I wanted them to hear. And I hope that that's what we've done this morning, is given us a better understanding of how, you know, we got the Bible through history, how it's been preserved and protected. Uh, but my hope for this morning is that our love for Scripture is strengthened and our passion for the Word is intensified. That as we go away, that we, that we know and we can hold on to the truth of God's Word, that He's given it to us, that He's protected it and preserved it for us, and that it's specifically for me that I can go and I can read and I can, I can observe it, I can interpret it, I can apply it to my life. And the gospel that we so passionately talked about last week, that we are driven by, that we are defined by, that we are declaring, Right, comes from the scripture that God has given to us. Right? We're going to talk about next week our, our devotion to one another. We're going to talk about in a coming week about our serving uh, alongside one another and serving our community, our going out, declaring. Right? These things are rooted in what we're talking about this morning. We need to be testing those things against the scriptures. So, my question. And, and I need to wrap up. My question for you this morning is, how does that change the way that I view Scripture? Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Man, we have an obligation to declare it. We have an obligation to declare the gospel And you don't have to be a preacher to preach it. You don't have to get up here and prepare on a Sunday morning to talk about how important the gospel is to you specifically. Just talk about it. Make it a part of your daily conversation. Finally, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 16. My assumption this morning is that I was going to spend a bulk of my time here and God said, hey, you know, there's a, there's a lot of other things that people need to know about the Bible. But this I came back to as the most important thing this morning. 2 Timothy 3.16 is really famous, if you will, right? All scriptures God-breathed and useful for teaching. But this is what 15 through 17 says. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We said that in our doctrinal statement. 
All scripture is breathed out by God, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we oftentimes feel inadequate in the ministries that we perform whether we're going out and telling people about Jesus, whether we're serving in the church, whether we're sharing on a Sunday night or a Monday night or prayer in a community group. Our foundation of knowing that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work comes rooted in Scripture. If you are rooted in Scripture, you will know. The last couple things. Romans 12 talks about it, it Romans 12 was the 12 1 and 2 was the first time I memorized a verse that God I mean just punched into my heart so much so I don't know how I feel about tattoos but so much so I put it on my body so that I were reminded every day man I call us to be a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God that I don't want to be conformed by the world but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and that comes through being rooted here in Scripture, right? James 1.22 talks, uh, talks about being not only hearers of the Word, not only coming on Sunday morning and spending time uh, listening, uh, not only spending time in your daily walk with Him, but being a doer of the Word by getting out there and by sharing with it. Philippians 2 talks about, hey, if there's, any, if there's anything that can make us complete, it is having the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? How are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? And that is being rooted in the canon that God has preserved and that God has protected for us, that God has given to us, that God has allowed us to take part of. Man, and we just set it on the shelf. And we see it sometimes as that neo-Orthodox view, right? It's just another... It's just another book, and it's not another book. It is our gift from him. And I have been re-energized this week to study God's word for me. Man, it's personal. It's a gift that I, I have, that he wants me to read it, and he wants me to understand it. He will give you that. Go look in his word, man. And he says, man, if you, if you just come to me and read, man, I, I'll let you know. I will give it to you. And we have that privilege and that honor because God protected it and preserved it for us. So I hope you're encouraged this morning. I know there's some history. I know there's some, some, some church, churchy theological language. Scrap all that, man. Just be doers of the word, right? Just be doers of God's word. Amen?